Hi, I'm Dave Swordlick from Story Cub Preschool Video Picture Books and Uptown Podcast Studios. Now, if you'd like to know more, head on over to Story Cub, Cub like a little bear, storycub.com and or uptownpodcast.com. Wow, I have a podcast company and I'm doing a podcast. Who knew? Now, more importantly, I am a proud member of EdNorth, an EdTech meetup group located in the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. If you are in the EdTech sector and not a member, what is your problem? Because you have no excuse. It's free. All the events are free. The people are truly amazing. And you're going to miss out on some great stuff. Our guest on this Ed North EdTech podcast is really interesting. If you have an EdTech startup or company that is maybe really happening regionally or maybe nationally, but you think, wow, I could really take this one step further. I have curriculum or whatever it may be. It doesn't matter that I want to go worldwide. Well, if you do, this might be the guy you want to talk to. He's the CEO of Global Expansion Strategies. His name's Michael Spencer, great guy, and we're going to learn about taking stuff worldwide. Wow. Uh, I uh, was once told if you're going to name a company, you should have the last name either worldwide or international. Sounds good. All right, there's, 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 a, there's a takeaway for you, okay? <laughs> it's Michael E. Spencer on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. It is Michael E. Spencer on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank you for having us on your show today, Dave. So Michael is an extraordinary person and a, a global leader. He's currently the chief executive officer, the CEO of Global Expansion Strategies. And you're an EdTech company, right? Yes, sir. We're uh, an EdTech international growth um, and investment advisory firm. When you say that, boy, it leaves a lot of room for a lot of different categories, I think. Do you specialize in in one thing or another? I, I would say what we focus on is helping early to mid-stage and, and sometimes even mature ed tech companies expand globally, right? Right now, a lot of these companies are uh, heavily focused on the United States, targeting both private, public, charter, and virtual schools. And, and we all know there's tremendous challenges right now with just promoting technologies to the U.S. ed tech space. What we do is we bring the international markets to these education companies, which don't have uh, a lot of the challenges that you do when you experience promoting here in the United States. Is, is there a percentage that's being used outside of the U.S.? Is it a, is it a lot? Is it a high percentage, a small percentage? Great, great question. It depends on the category. So if you're talking about English language solutions that are developed um, here in the United States, there is a significantly large market for it globally because a lot of these international school operators are looking for English language learning uh, programs. And so with the variety of companies that are coming into this space, there's a considerably large market for it globally. Other categories, programming and robotics, and most recently, career and acceleration programs, both at the high school and higher ed levels. 
I've been to China many a times. If I ever get lost, which was only one time, I just look for a little kid because they teach English in school. Is English going to be the primary language of the world? Well, yeah, it's definitely the secondary language, second to the primary language in these foreign countries because they know English helps facilitate eventually going on to U.S. universities, U.S. high schools, and even employment with a U.S.-based company. And so when you look at these international schools and they have these bilingual programs, in essence, these bilingual programs have their core curriculum, but there is tremendous potential for these uh, companies that have developed uh, single function solutions, read, write, speak, and listen, where they can then in turn embed these in their existing bilingual programs. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. On your website, which is globalx, the letter X, and then strategies.com, you have have five steps listed there, which I I think really starts to tell a story. Step Mm -hmm. step one, we align your solution with international markets. So how do you do that? So you talk to a company who says, you know, we think our product, we think our education, we're already in schools, we already have proof of, con- I mean, you know, we're, we're making money and everything, mm-hmm. uh, but, and we, we don't have anyone here that speaks any other language. How can you work with a company to get them through this first step? Right. Good, great question. So we have a fairly expensive lit- list of international educations that we use that we work with. They range from K-12 all the way up to higher education. And really what we have to do is when when we find a solution, we have to make sure that there is a, a market for it. So we actually take these solutions and we talk to a handful of strategic customers in, in the five geographies of the world. They then in turn say, yes, they like it. They perhaps could use it. And then some subsequently request Possible modifications. Most of the time, you don't need to modify the, these platforms. So aligning is really aligning uh, the technology with the school's needs, obviously optimum student outcomes, and then obviously uh, the different channels through which you target those schools. And when you look at programs, can you, because of your experience, can you Tell pretty quickly if a program is right or not quite ready for you to help them out. Yeah, it doesn't take um, much. A lot of it is going to be based on our years of experience in working in this space. We have uh, fairly extensive open dialogues and communications with a lot of these large international school operators who are asking us oftentimes to source technologies for them. And it gives you insight into what they want and what they're looking for. So we have a pretty good uh, knowledge base of what will and what won't um, you know, succeed internationally. And, and by the way, I want to congratulate you. I, I apologize. I should have done this at the beginning because where did I see you? Oh, I think you might be talking about industry era. It's a, a very recognized public global publication who have different segments that they focused on, predominantly ed- education. and. and we were nominated. I was nominated as um, top 10 ed tech executives for 2021. That's fantastic. Congratulations on top on, 10, Tom best education leaders for 2021. That's fantastic. Now, how long have you been at this? Oh, I've been at this for about 22 plus years. 
Um, and, and during those 22 plus years, has it all been looking for solutions? You kind of made it, it you kind of created your own path along the way. I would say I created my own path. I, it all stems from uh, my upbringing. Uh, I was born in, in East Africa, lived in several countries throughout the Middle East and Europe, spent the better half of my teens in Latin America, came to the U.S., graduated from Cal State Presnell, did my MBA in, in Monterey, California. So that, that international DNA has been part of me since the beginning. My roots started in Silicon Valley, predominantly in the hardware space, developing hardware technologies for education institutions. Having had several successful exits, I found myself looking at the sort of software as a service, platform as a service, helped a couple companies expand globally, raise capital, and subsequently exit successfully to a couple U.S. international-based publishers. And I, I found myself finding that there's, there's a tremendous market potential for all these other early to mid-stage products. And so the, the strategy there was to address that intersection where academics meet economics, right? Big intersection. And oftentimes these ed tech companies have great solutions, but struggle to get their product to market. And we come in and we sort of help them with that intersection, bringing in oftentimes international revenue that exceeds their domestic potential revenue. Is there a lot of tweaking to these programs to make it fit? I, I'm sure it's a case by case basis, but are, are there a lot of things you have to tweak to make, make it work? It's interesting. Most, a lot of companies seem to think that when you take your products or technologies internationally, you have to localize them right, right away to their foreign language. That comes at a heavy, heavy, heavy cost. And to ask an early stage or mid stage company to invest in that with really no upside commitments is very challenging. So very little tweaking depending on what the technology is in the initial stages. Most of the times the tweaking is embedding the existing platform as is in the current school's platform. Yes, and that's oftentimes can be done through uh, LTI or API. Yeah, I keep thinking like uh, if there's local customs or or a local, it's some, something specific where, you know, you, we can't use this part uh, because mm -hmm. uh, it could be illegal or something. Yeah, maybe I'm really reaching over the line here. Well, with with software, there's no customs related stuff because it's all online. So it's uh, basically software as a service. Yeah, yeah. Your access credentials and you're accessing the program. I would say a lot of the tweaking is done in setting up the strategic channel. This means this is the channel through which um, you use in country to promote your technologies to the schools and get the schools to use them. So tweaking is not so much specific to the platform solution itself as just more the business understanding, the costs, the, the taxes, taxes associated with transferring money on the customer procuring it. And then there's the technology side of it, which is integrating the technology into the school's existing platform. And then uh, obviously some of the marketing tweaks where you have to promote the technology within the school. That perhaps does need to be localized, but it's it's a nominal expense. What grades are we talking? Are we talking, oh, are we talking K through 12? Are we talking college? Are we talking everything? What do we... Through K through 16 is what I, I refer to. Okay. And within the this K through 16, most of, uh, am I assuming that most of these programs that you're 
bringing in your, your customers that you're bringing in to into a worldwide audience this worldwide audience for the most part um, knows english or i suppose maybe one of those some of these programs are to learn english yes so again you have to really be able to differentiate the two when we work with these international private schools for the most part in the earlier years it's really a function of learning english your program for example could be could be ideal at the earlier grade levels where young kids are learning how to read write and speak as the students progress through their grades and continue to take english courses it becomes it sort of transitions from learning to be able to read write and speak english in a proficient manner so how many countries are you in I would I would say continents, right? Latin America, Europe, Middle East, Asia, quote unquote, Southeast Asia, Asia and Southeast Asia, and Africa. Uh, you know, what's left? No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, you know, the, the, <laughs> those, those are sort of the geographies, right? Sure. Um, there sure. are specific countries within those geographies that, that that we work with. I think there's a lot of countries in Africa. At least when mm-hmm. you know, we, when I look at a you know a heat map or something, with what some of the stuff that I do that really kind of blows up. They like uh, free content and free content mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. that can teach, that they can, you know, that they can, they can learn by. And it seems like there are, there are a lot of people in Africa that want to learn English. Oh, yeah, there are. I mean, globally, English is, is definitely the language that everybody wants to learn. Yes, there are several geographies that prefer to you know, use free content, but you have to understand that comes at, um, an expense. And oftentimes it's quality or perhaps longevity of the technology that you're using. Are you dealing uh, a lot with governments, government officials? Be, uh, you know, everyone, mm-hmm. stuff needs to be approved, I'm guessing, at some level. Maybe it's on the local level. I don't know. Well, um, again, we go back to the public and private, right? Private schools get to they do have to adhere to uh, the ministries of education mandates as to what curriculums they use. But when we approach them with our portfolio solutions, we pro- pro- approach them from the perspective of here are some supplemental tools that you can use in your school. So we're not really stepping on the toes of any government mandates. Within the public sector, yes, you do have to you know speak to government officials. And oftentimes when we do that, we go in understanding that this is going to be more Price sensitive, I, I guess you could say, when you target the public schools. I notice you speak three languages, English mm-hmm. being one. I think we've confirmed that. Portuguese is another, but also Spanish. The people you're dealing with, I'm guessing, already speak English. Oh, yeah. You know. yeah. Most of the time, the, the, the sort of the senior leadership at these schools, Western educated here in the United States. So, yeah, they, they're quite quite fluent in, in English. Yeah. So even better. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people come over here, they go to Harvard, they go to whatever, and then they go back to their, their home country. You take a company's product. I'm just thinking of there's a lot of startups out there that are growing and they're growing and Maybe they haven't completely conquered the U.S. However, they go, well, you know, this thing could work everywhere. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. What would be the process in working with your company? If it's like, hey, if I say, hey, I've got something that I think could be great worldwide. And mm-hmm. here's, here's this guy, Michael E. Spencer, the, the, you know, <laughs> who, who knows, well, who's been there knows, he knows his stuff. Right. So what, what we do is when we find a company, Oftentimes, request a a you know very very 
high level training to understand the platform. Uh, we then in turn take it to the five geographies that, that we work within. Uh, that again being Latin America, uh, Europe, uh, Middle East, Asia, Southeast Asia, and Africa. And we ask the individuals to sort of review, look at the technology, um, and determine if there would be a potential market for it in those geographies. In some geographies, there may, in others, there may not be. And even within the geographies themselves, there may be some opportunities in one country and perhaps a neighboring country there isn't. So we always make it worthwhile for the company to see that there is a market potential to then subsequently get them to want to pursue it. So that's what we do. So we go off and we spend about three weeks doing that. And we provide a fairly thorough analysis on just what's the market potential for the platform globally. You have these these five steps. We went through the first step. You know, align your solution with international markets. Step two, you develop the country go-to-market strategies, which I mm-hmm. just answered. Number three, you train in-country strategic channel partners. So right. is that working directly with schools or what do you mean by that? Good, good question. So in-country strategic channel partner is is oftentimes one or two organizations that are going to represent your product in the country, and they are going to be responsible for promoting it to, you know, the segments where they believe to be most successful. Private schools, public schools, elementary, middle, or high schools, combination of all three, perhaps universities. The the strategic channel partner oftentimes is is an individual or group of individuals in country that have been in the education space for years and know, you know, how, how to take products to, to market. So what we do is we find these strategic channel partners based on the technology that we're taking them, and then in turn train them on the platform so that they can go on and off and, and promote it to uh, those education institutions. So are you speaking, it, 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 would it be correct if I were to say you work with a lot of rep groups that sell to schools? Good, good question. So reps we, we, we work with resellers, right? So these are resell, resellers are individuals in country that will manage the entire um, business all the way from promoting it to transacting it. Because oftentimes these international schools uh, request some u- unique business models, payment terms, and we feel it's the responsibility of that reseller to manage all that. That mitigates a tremendous amount of risk to the company itself so sellers that's kind of step four is that we we, you you leverage strategic channel partners for implementation that's correct so the resellers manage everything manufacturers reps they walk in the door they sell the technology but ultimately the customer transacts directly with the company the vendor step five you drive scale and retention retention right Mm -hmm. you're 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 over here so in each country where a, a program is being implemented you're going to learn from that first year, right? Right. And you have, you have to remember that your cost of acquisition is going to be fairly high in year one. So what you want to do is you want to work with schools that have fairly large student populations. Our smallest one is, is about 30,000 students. Our largest school operator is about 1.4 million students. Wow. And, and, and so when you take technologies to these countries and subsequently these schools, there's tremendous scale. And tremendous retention. Now, again, 
we're, we're back addressing that intersection of academics versus economics. And you want to make sure there's that component to it. Otherwise, you're going to have to continue to incur that cost of acquisition year over year, which obviously impacts just the entire business model. So you're using SaaS program. And so mm-hmm. how, I mean, do, do the expenses differ dramatically between certain products? Are some more easily adaptable and some you have to almost completely change, although it would yeah. you know, would work? Good question. I, you know, I t- oftentimes de- uh, refer to that to the difference between a technology um, and a solution. If you're selling a fairly easy supplemental tool or solution that can be embedded in the school, it's really a function of this is what it does. This is the pricing. But when you talk about solutions, there's a little bit lengthier sales cycle there and a little bit more lift that is required to embed the technology or the solution in in the school. Michael E. Spencer from uh, Global Expansion Strategy. Seriously, we can't thank you enough for being here. And we can't do it. We can't do a, a, a podcast these days without talking about COVID. Now you're working. We're talking more and more than the U.S. How has COVID affected mm. your business? Uh, great question. I would say similar to the United States in that when the pandemic hit, it was everybody shut down, spent the entire year shutting down. As we came out of the pandemic, you started to see different attempts at different types of blended le- hybrid learning models. And so what we started to see most recently is is that at least in the international school space, schools have now sort of settled to where they have almost returned back to pre-pandemic forms of education. Students are fully back in five days a week. And as a result of that, the decision-making to look at new technologies has has opened up as well. So it's affected you a little less than, than a lot of people. Yes. And I would say parallel to that, because these are international private school operators, they have, they're very sad. And as a result of that, many of them have realized the impacts and the benefits of actually using online curriculum as a means to educate their students. And they've been able to leverage that from a business perspective. What does that mean? That means somewhat of the, the, the flipped model students who understand the, the content or the, or the curriculum, be it grade specific, uh, subject specific don't need to come to school. They can continue to study at home and only come to school when they need to. So how do people connect across the... Oh, there's... Yeah. I mean, Zoom, it varies from country to country, actually, and school to school as well. We sort of use whatever the school likes. Excellent. So, Michael E. Spencer, we can't thank you enough for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having us on, on the, the show. On the Ed North Ed Tech podcast. So, like I mentioned earlier, if someone would like to reach out to you, and say, hey, Michael, I got something. Can I run this by you or whatever? Or maybe they just want to connect. What's the yeah. best What's the best way to get a, to, to, to reach out to you? Uh, you can either, probably the best way is email, mspencer at globalxstrategies.com or. What about LinkedIn? You're at what? Michael Edward Spencer is your actual LinkedIn uh, profile. That is correct. But that is correct. I suppose I could just look up Michael E. Spencer because you got the, there's, I, can't, I bet there's a lot, of, a lot of Michael Spencers out there. So if there, I mean, there's tons of Minnesota 
awesome Minnesota ed tech startups and, and, and all around the country. And it sounds like you, you, you want to expand outside the U.S. And I'm not trying to, to give you props. Cause I've never worked with, I, I can't endorse you, but boy, you sure seem like the right guy. <laughs> well, thank you. I'd say if anybody's interested, delighted to, you know, give them my, my initial thoughts on what I think the market potential could be outside the U.S. All right. Well, thanks again. That's Michael Spencer here on the Ed North Ed Tech Podcast, Chief Executive Officer, Global Expansion Strategies at International Strategy. That's correct. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us here on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. Yeah, one more time. Thank you so much again to Michael E. Spencer from Global Strategies Worldwide. Uh, again, really interesting stuff. On behalf of the Ed North EdTech Podcast, I'm Dave Swerdlick, and we'll talk to you soon.